Coming up on the Assassins Podcast, we've got Cam Duty, co-founder and GP of The Brickyard, joining the show to talk about Cam's first successful venture, Bellhop, how he successfully scaled one of the fastest growing companies in the moving space, Brickyard's approach to accelerating, rather insulating, great companies, the benefit of relocating your team to an island, and the importance of physically working together in the early stages of building your culture and company, and the best advice I've ever heard on this podcast from someone as a founder when going through the grind, courtesy of Mr. Duty Sr., Cam's dad. Cam is the type of investor that I love because he's actually done some shit and built something real and his approach to being an entrepreneur and going from zero to one is incredibly authentic and real, which is why I love this episode. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show, Assassins. Let's get it started. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Vandehey, here at the Assassin's Podcast, where every week we have stories about founders doing big things, taking their ventures, their companies from zero to one. This week on the show, we've got a serial assassin. He's co-founded one of the fastest growing companies in the moving industry. He's most recently co-founded a pretty unique and pretty badass looking investment firm in space based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Cam Duty, co-founder of The Brickyard. Welcome to the Assassin's Podcast. What's up? <laughs> Good to have you on, man. To kick it off, maybe if you wanted to just start with a little bit more about your background, would love to, yeah, just hear also about the journey to founding Brickyard because it's a pretty unique and, and special space. Yeah. Okay. I never thought that I'd be a venture investor. I've been a an operator, founder for the last decade. We got lucky on our first go, started Bellhop, and it just happened to be one of those deals that had legs. And we spent the last decade scaling it up. It's a tech-enabled moving and relocation platform with the fully verticalized workforce, a transportation platform where we figured out how to scale quicker than any traditional relocation moving company by tapping into underutilized trucking assets for final mile logistics companies that wanted to keep their trucks running. And we built out this workforce management platform that basically paired our branded workforce, you know, all over the country with a virtually unlimited supply of trucking assets in the final mile space. And that's what allowed us to grow quicker than any moving company ever. But my God, a super difficult company to scale. So operationally intense, you're relying on 
thousands of human beings to walk into your customers' homes and spend hours with them, literally picking up their entire life. And you're, you're hoping that they're carrying your brand into the home with them and representing your company well. Unit economics are, are tough. You've got to make money on the first move. It's uh, 55% gross margin business, so you're not, you don't have a ton of margin to play with. Customer acquisition is always a, is always a grind. You just have to build a really robust, operationally excellent business, and that was hard AF. And truthfully, after spending eight years in the business, I was just over my skis, and we ended up hiring somebody that was just capable of running a big business that's super complicated and hired a guy named Luke Marklin from, he ran half of Uber's, or I guess almost half of Uber's business in the U.S. as a regional GM. And um, he just has the chops to be able to manage a super operational intense business. And I stepped out of the business right before COVID, which timing was for me amazing for the company was horrible. And, and uh, that's when we started Brickyard. I still serve on the, on the board of, of, bellhop and bellhop's doing great and we're we're weathering this same thing really well but it's been from demand crunch to supply crunch to demand crunch people moving to people not working to people not moving to people not moving and not working it's, it's been like wild you, so you just get some freaking consistency it's like there's yeah. never never that moment to breathe yeah so that that was that that was a decade of really pushing a rock up a hill and a super fulfilling time, but it was also it made me realize just how hard this game of of being a venture back company and venture back founder is, and that led us to start Brickyard because the the ethos of startup founders has changed so much over the last ten years. Ten years ago, you'd meet a founder and you'd just feel sorry for him, like fuck, keep going, and. Today, you meet a founder and first thing they want to tell you is about how they just made Forbes 30 under 30 and all these different reasons why they started the company, but sexier than an MBA, had a PM role at a big tech company for a while, wanted to kind of try things out for, for themselves. It's a vanity game. It's a celebrity thing. It's, a, it's all these ulterior motives other than building a really big business and going to war for a decade. And Brickyard is basically, we're a venture firm that we're investing in teams all over the world that buy into moving to a city they've never thought in a million years that they would live in, working under one roof with 50, 60, 70, 80 other founders of venture-backed companies, super top-tier, top 1% sort of YC-grade founders that have all burned the ships and are in it for the right reasons because they want to build a big company and they're not in it for the networking or the spending two weeks of partying in Miami and New York and LA. It's like our founders are here to put their head down and grind towards product market fit. And we just recognize there is this hole between teams that raise their first round of capital and finding product market fit. And usually that's like a two or three year grind. And that's the scariest part of, of any company. It's like, you've got the pressure of venture capital constantly just crushing you, but your rudder as a company is still really thin. You're still trying to figure out 
what is the thing that is going to make you go big? And the thing that usually kills teams in that time is in our take is just distraction. And so we're all about radical focus. Talking about the the model a little bit more, because I think it's there's a couple of really unique value proposition that you have for founders. One is I know founders in the program have a 10% ownership stake of the GP's carried interest on it. Just the general duration of the program, it feels like it's it's a lot longer. And I love how you've described it as almost like an insulator for a lot of the reasons that you highlighted. I think that's a really, it's a really, really cool way to describe it. Just digging in on that a little bit more, could you could you talk a little bit more about the Brickyard model that you've built and sort of like what led you to structure it that way? Well, we wanted one to create this big top of funnel filter that allowed my partner Matt and I to just immediately separate the wheat from the chaff. And so like the first five minutes with any founder, any pitch that we take, I'm just like, look, this game's almost impossible, but it also represents maybe the most, the biggest opportunity that you have in your life to create time independence for yourself and for your family. And if you really understood that, you would realize that you wouldn't waste a single second in taking it as seriously as possible. And Brickyard, is all about taking it as serious as you possibly can. It's, you're signing up for a minimum one-year residency where you're going to pick up, move to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and join a community of founders who have all done the exact same thing that are super serious about what they're building and are willing to put in 15, 18 hours a day every day of the week for at least a year. And our take is, is if you do that, you're going to improve odds to finding product market fit because everybody wants to talk about working smart. No company has ever found product market fit by working smart. You find product market fit by working hard. You scale your company by working smart, but finding product market fit has nothing to do with scale. In fact, it has, it's the polar opposite of scale. And in order to maximize your energy and your focus towards finding that product market fit, you just have to be in an environment where you have only one thing to do. You're not worrying about networking events. You're not worrying about going on podcasts. You're not worrying about talking to politicians and talking to all these people that are just naturally attracted to people that are taking big swings and wanting your time. That's all a trap prior to product market fit, it feels productive and it's not. The only two things that matter are talking to customers and shipping code. You, you alluded to this a little bit in just separating the wheat from the shaft, but do you and Matt, when you think about evaluating founders or the opportunities in the companies you work with, do you have any sort of established criteria or, or framework that you work through as you're sort of evaluating these opportunities? You know, we, 90% of every decision that we make is because we're investing in pre-seed and seed. We're agnostic, although we don't touch hardware or healthcare. Nine, but 90% of our conviction that we find in, in teams is, is the people. It's like it's the founders that we're talking to. We are placing bets on people that we believe are ready to go to war for at least a decade. And 
that's the sort of the prerequisite towards do we keep this conversation going? And then beyond that, the final 10%, obviously, which is an important 10%, but it's like, is this venture worthy? Could this return the whole fund? Is this something that we are actually connected to and think that we could help with, et cetera, et cetera. But 90% of the decision is like, is this CEO a killer? And we make bets on, on radically focused, serious founders that are in it for the right reasons. Two-part question on this one. So I noticed that the program based in Chattanooga that you raised from LPs locally, and that was really important to the, the vision and the thesis for Brickyard. I've been to Nashville, which is fucking awesome. I've heard great things about Chattanooga, but what, what was it about building this out in Chattanooga for you specifically? And as a second part of that question, what's, what's your take on, you see a lot of VCs now more publicly talking about there's this resurgence to people moving back to the Bay Area who really want to build massive companies that need to be closer to Menlo Park. Like, what, What's your take on traditional venture that make those types of claims? Well, I, I'll just answer that second part. I mean, venture investors want p- founders to come to them because they're lazy. <laughs> that's full stop. Because if it were really about if it were really about talent density, which which does play into things as you scale a company for sure. And I I actually don't fully subscribe to this idea of of a building fully remote companies. I think being having a, a core component of being together in a place is obviously very important to us. And I think that is important for, for teams that are scaling, that you have a rich, dense talent market you know, that you can pull from. But I mean, if, if from a venture investor standpoint, whether you're in New York or Atlanta or Nashville or San Francisco, talent has massively redistributed across the country. Um, and, uh, and I think great companies are going to just come from everywhere full stop. I, I'd, admittedly, Chattanooga is, if you think about Chattanooga from the same way that you think about startups, we're like a seed stage city. And so Chattanooga is not a great place to scale uh, a company today. Will it be in five, seven, eight, ten 10 years? Yeah, we're getting absolutely bombarded by people relocating, real talent moving to the city. But we're, we're a decade away from being at a point where this is really a place that you can scale a company all the way to IPO. But the reason, to go back to your first question, the reason that Chattanooga matters to us is we did it here. We, we, we scaled our company here. We felt the benefits of recruiting your team, your early team, to an island where when you close a candidate and they pick up and they move to a city they never thought that they would live in, you have, you do not worry about retention. It's, you're, you're focusing your energy on recruiting, but once you can find, once you can close that talent, uh, you have somebody that is just absolutely all in and that matters so much. And so Brickyard, we're focused on getting teams to product market fit. That's our promise. You come here to get to PMF and then we don't care where you go after that. Our job is to get teams to PMF and the thing that we think matters more than anything is being insulated and being in a position where you can be away from the noise and the distraction that causes bad golf swings in venture where you start valuing the wrong things. And when really 
you just have to have your head down. And, uh, and we did it ourselves. So we, we moved here because a venture group called Lamppost wrote our check and they said, but we want you to be in Chattanooga. And they are now, the founders of Lamppost are my partners at Brickyard now. Brickyard is like a continuation of this magical thing that happened between the years of 2012 and 2015, where they wrote 10 checks and seven of those companies are still alive. Uh, we all worked out of the same space from nothing, from scratch. We became like brothers and sisters. And those companies are collectively worth over $2 billion now. And it was a, just a wild time where all of us were totally all 100% all in and nobody was going to lose. And so we, we felt the magic of what a benefit being in an environment like that was. And Brickyard is like that on steroids. Getting back to this process of raising capital, the differences, potentially any differences or similarities raising capital for a fund versus raising for bellhop. That's just been a question I've had personally, just understanding the dynamic of like what actually goes into working with LPs and how does that differ from a traditional venture back startup? Yeah. I'd say the raise is actually like pretty similar. I mean, like the the mechanics of going and raising our fund, which we self-funded our first 16 companies at Brickyard. And then because we didn't know if it was going to work because it was such a contrarian take, like, are we going to be able to get top tier founders? And it was clear after like the sixth company that we backed that we just strike, we're striking a chord with a third of our companies are YC teams. We've got companies from seven different countries, like maybe 15 different cities. And so it was just, it was working, but we, we, the, the act of, after we backed the first 15 or so, we said, okay, we're going to have to raise our first fund to, to, in order to keep the pedal down and expand. And, and we, we found, we felt like we were nearing product market fit with, with Rickyard. So we went and raised a $20 million fund and we closed it in five weeks, all from local investors, most of which are operators. We took 73 LP meetings and we have 65 LPs. Hmm. And I think a lot of that had to do with because we raised locally, there were a lot of people that had seen us in action for the last decade and kind of understood who we were. And there was a lot of trust there. And uh, that raise was probably abnormally quick. Um, I think the second raise is going to be the more difficult one when, where obviously our traction, our, our execution is, is going to really come into play there. But in the first fund, you're sort of just selling a vision. But that's in, in many ways similar to... to your first round of funding in a company. That's a damn good hit rate too. I feel like that's not a bad, that's not a bad conversion rate as I think about yeah, the pipeline. In the I'm funnel. not complaining. I think yeah. I was one for 115 when we went out to raise our round. It was just like yeah. first, I think it was, that was about it. It was not, it was not pretty. There's a benefit to having, you know, having a track record and then going to the people that know you really well. I mean, it's sort yeah. of like being a time founder, you know, but yeah. Totally new at this game. That's for yeah. sure. Okay, I've I've read a couple of pieces that featured you in the yard. One thing I just even before jumping on the podcast, you've a you're very like you have a very authentic perspective and view on like not only what it takes to build a real meaningful company, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, but just 
how freaking hard it is to actually go from zero to one to find product market fit. As a serial entrepreneur, been asking this question, is there anything that Cam, the co-founder of Brickyard, would say to Cam, co-founder of Bellhop almost 10 years ago? Is there anything, any wisdom that you'd bestow upon a young Cam knowing what you know now? Yeah, it's a weird, it's sort of weird. And I, I saw, I think what I'd say is, you know, that, that, that cliche, like 99% of the stuff that you worry about never happens. You know, I think over the years, I mean, we've had so many moments building bellhops where it was like, we flew so close to the sun. And I think every team, if they're honest, that's just part of being an adventure backed business. You're pushing all the way to the limit. And just by virtue of doing that, it puts you in, in really difficult situations. And like, if you let it, that anxiety can just be crippling. But the fact is, is like the best advice I ever got was from my dad. Like it, it was one of our fundraisers. I didn't think that we were going to get the round done. And I'd visited my parents at home and I was with my wife and we left and I got like two miles from the house and just felt like this, like a truck was parked on my chest. Like, and I'd never had an anxiety attack in my life and I didn't know what it felt like. It felt like I was having a heart attack and I pulled the car over and I was like, Hannah, I got to call dad. Now dad's a doctor. I called dad and I was like, dad, I, I need you to call me in some anti-anxiety medicine because I think I'm having like a serious anxiety attack. And he like realized in that moment that he had to be a dad. And he just snapped into gear and he was like, the last thing I'm going to do is call you in a prescription for anti-anxiety you're feeling this stress for a reason. Stress can make you sharp. It's the reason that you're in the, you're the position that, that you're in today. What you need to do is let go all the stuff that you cannot control and prioritize what are the two things that you can control that are going to move the needle and the outcome that you want. And everything else, just forget about it. It doesn't matter. If you can't control it, do not worry about it. Pick that one or two things and totally give it all you got. And guess what? After that, the thing that you want is either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And guess what? If it doesn't happen, you still have a family that loves you. You still have your health. You still have this. You still have that. Like you are the man in the arena and you should be proud regardless of the outcome. But right now you need to focus on what you can control. And it was like, my whole world just like, boom, like this massive feeling of like relief flooded over my body. And I was like, let's fucking go. And a week later, we had done the round and we got through that moment. And it was like, that is the advice that I would give is like when it, when you feel like the world is crushing you, just remember you've got one thing to do. What is that one thing? And then just Put everything you have behind it. Shout out to Mr. Duty, by the way. Cam's pops holding it down here. I don't think I've gotten that good of advice from people that were on my cap table. So that's pretty stellar. Wise dude. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're coming coming to the top of the time here. As we close it out, just wanted to close with what's what's next for the yard? What's next for Brickyard and just wanted to give you the space to say like, Hey, was there anything else that you wanted to plug? I mean, we are, 
we're talking to as many founders as possible. I mean, we, we are not taking a break. Our job is to build the, the most selective, high quality community of founders on the planet. And, uh, we just want to talk to great founders that, that share that ethos of being all in 100% all in, in an environment where this is not an accelerator. There's no formal programming. There's no demo day. It's not about raising money. It's about executing. It's being around other founders who are pushing just as hard or harder than you are. And it's, it's, it's just channeling that energy in the early days that is, you don't have time for nervous energy. You just are focused and, and, uh, and we just want to talk to those founders. So you can find us justlaybrick.com or brickyardvc.com. Either work. My email is cam at justlaybrick. Cam Duty, D-O-O-D-Y, like howdy duty on Twitter. I've got like a thousand followers. <laughs> Pretty big deal. Yeah, man. I guess that's it. I just want to talk to badass founders. All right, dude. Well, it was really great having you on, talking about your journey. Really pumped for what you're building in Chattanooga. If you ever find your way up in the Pacific Northwest, man, always welcome here. And uh, yeah, keep it rolling and excited to see what's next for the yard. Boom. All right, sir. Likewise, when you're in Tennessee, bring it on. All right, man. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. All right, that is a wrap. Again, big shout out to Cam Duty. Cam Duty Sr., Cam's dad. I love Cam's line in the episode, no company's ever found product market fit by working smart. You find product market fit by working hard. That is about as real as it gets. All right, this week on the podcast, we've got a good friend of mine jumping on the show. He was one of the founders of one of the first social networks for fitness and health. He's now an executive coach and helping founders on their journeys going from zero to one. He's also a pretty badass metal guitarist, so going to want to tune into that one. He's a great dude. All right. Again, in the meantime, hope everyone has a fantastic holiday a great new year. We'll have continue to put episodes out through the holiday. So if you got some time, tune in. Again, I appreciate everybody that's listening every week. In the meantime, keep hustling, keep grinding, and keep getting that money. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated.